I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... First, a federal court is hearing arguments about whether a new law violates Mississippi's Constitution. Then, community leaders are sparking conversations around access to menstrual products during Period Poverty Awareness Week. And rural students in Mississippi are more susceptible to learning loss and food insecurity during the summer months. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A federal court is considering arguments over a Mississippi law. Well, that the lawsuit a is over this nationally controversial County. bill from the House legislature, bill House Bill 1020, that will uh, create a, a separate create law enforcement district within the Capitol Complex Improvement District. It will also create four new temporary uh, circuit judgeships no and the new Hines County Judicial District in the uh, created by the bill. But uh, this new judicial district is it will be in the wider, more affluent area of Jackson. He speaks without. And Kobe circuit judges in Mississippi are usually elected, although there are some they examples the of the chief the justice of the state Supreme Court appointing temporary judges. Stepping back for a second, can you give us a little bit of perspective? Who in who are the uh, plaintiffs in the case and who is defending uh, the state? Yeah, there were three different parties today. There was the um, the the chief justice of the Supreme Court, Michael Randolph, who's being sued in his official ca- capacity. He believed that he needed to have separate counsel, so he had his own attorney today. Uh, state attorneys from the attorney general's office, and then the NAACP. So, what were some of the arguments being presented by those sides? Well, the the main issue today were the new circuit judges that would be appointed in in Hines County under House Bill 1020. Typically, in Mississippi, circuit court judges are elected um, under the bill. Uh, these these four new judges would be appointed by the Chief Justice of the, of the state Supreme Court. So the NAACP and um, their, their plaintiffs that, that are Jackson residents are arguing that this is taking away uh, their political power, their right to, to vote on, you know, on the judges that might be um, presiding over any case that they, that they might be involved in. And, and the, the state constitution says that, that circuit judges should be elected but the state is arguing that because um, under the bill, um, under the original version of the bill, these would have been uh, permanent judgeships. But in the final version that was passed, they're only four-year terms, so they would end in 2026. And the, so the state is arguing that because these are only temporary appointments that they don't violate the state constitution. 
Can you give us a preview into what the court was like, you know, as you were sitting there in the room with them? What were you hearing and how long were you there? We started at 9.30 and we didn't get out until until after 4 o'clock. So it was a, it was a full day. The first, the first half of the day was purely the arguments about the, the, uh, the temporary judges. And then um, afternoon got into larger issues with, with 1020. But um, the final result was that uh, Judge Henry, Henry Wingate extended his restraining order on the Chief Justice making those appointments until he issues his final ruling, which will come this Friday or next Monday. What is the concerns that are being raised? Uh, is it the ACLU or the NAACP? NAACP. What are the concerns being raised by the NAACP in this case? How do they feel that this could reduce the power of voters? You know, that's uh, just Jackson is, uh, you know, a majority black city, and this is a bill that is going to take away power from the, you know, uh, the citizens in this majority black city. It was a bill enacted by, uh, you know, a white legislator signed by a, um, a white governor. And these judges are going to be appointed by a white chief justice that, that lives in Hattiesburg. So in, the, in their view, it's uh, racially discriminatory. Um, on the other side, the, um, the state argues that it, that it is a, a race-neutral bill, that their goal is to reduce uh, the crime in Jackson or to address it. You know, no one, no one is acting like this is going to, to solve the problem. But uh, on the state side, they believe that it will help. And they believe that, you know, reducing crime is, uh, is something that the, the state ought to be fighting for for all Jacksonians. What were some of the other arguments that you might have heard during the case today? Uh, the Chief Justice's attorney argued that he had judicial immunity, that, this, um, that the appointing of these judges was a judicial act and that if they were and that he was compelled to appear before the court to defend the institution of, you know, of the chief justice and that um, if they were to um, rule that this was, you know, not a, a, that this was not a judicial act and, and bar him from making these appointments, that that would open up judges across the state to future litigation. What were some of the statements that were made following the hearing today? The um, the chief justice and the attorneys for the state refused to comment, but um, but one of the attorneys for the NAACP uh, said he, they were very pleased with how it went and appreciated the court giving them more time. As I understand, we have a little bit of tape from Joe Schottenfeld, attorney with the NAACP. Here's that. I think for now, our only comment is that we really appreciate the court's time today. We were very heartened by his ruling, just extending the temporary restraining order, so we have enough time to fully brief the issues and prepare and give the court enough evidence so that it can issue a more uh, durable ruling on the preliminary injunction motion by this Wednesday. Well, we're going to get this this um, this final ruling on um, on the this final ruling on the chief justice, you know, um, appointment element of the case on Friday or Monday, and then. Um, the NAACP is going to file their challenge of other elements of the bill. Um, the state will respond, and then we're going to get a date set for oral arguments, and a Judge Wingate will then issue a bench opinion. Not sure when it will be resolved, but we, you know, we have the path to the finish line that, that has been set. Will Stribling is a reporter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting's news team and is covering a lawsuit on House Bill 1020 in the federal court of the Southern District of Mississippi. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kobe. Coming up, many young Mississippians can't afford menstrual products. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It's Period Poverty Awareness Week, and local leaders say menstrual products are often a heavy financial burden for low-income Mississippians. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Representative Sakia Summers of Jackson about this disparity and helping low-income Mississippians understand their bodies. Today was an absolutely amazing day. We educated some 30 young ladies from the West Jackson area about menstrual health, reproductive health, and we're providing them feminine hygiene products uh, that they can take back home and be able to have access to. You know, this week is period poverty awareness week, and so we want to raise awareness around the fact that we have women and girls across the state that are living in poverty that may not have the resources in order to purchase things like menstrual pads, um, in order for them to have good feminine health. And so we just want to kind of be in the gap and provide those products to these young ladies. Um, I participated in a contest through the National Women Legislators Foundation, and through that contest, I was awarded $1,000 worth of products. And so I said, what better way than to give it directly to the young ladies in need by partnering with Boys and Girls Club of Central Mississippi and Center for Social Entrepreneurship. And that brought us here today, and I'm just, I'm just amazed by these young ladies, how attentive they were, like all the questions that they asked. Um, so I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to do that today. Like you said, it's period poverty week. We are in the poorest state in the nation. I know we talked to young women today, but what can women of all ages do to better educate themselves during this time? Well, it's important for women to know their own bodies, first and foremost. Understand what your own body is going through. And if you don't, seek some help. Also, talk to our daughters, our nieces, our cousins, other young ladies that are in the community that may not have a woman um, in their life or a mother in their life that can teach them about those things. Just be a resource. And if you see a young lady in need, help them out. Ask them what they need. through uh, my my relationship with my colleague, Representative Latasha Jackson, uh, she sponsored a piece of legislation that I co-sponsored that will now provide period products to young girls between the, the grades of 6 through 12 in public schools at no cost of their own. So that's one way that we are tackling this period poverty issue in the state of Mississippi. There are more things that we can do, and so we hope that we can get other women from across the state to contact their legislators, make them aware that this is an issue and that they should be supporting pieces of legislation um, that will help to bring access to our young women and our our young girls. 
I'm glad you brought up legislation. There is that 7% pink tax that we have with our feminine products. Do you see any kind of way that our Mississippi lawmakers can tackle that at all? Well, I'm hoping so. I introduced some legislation this session that unfortunately did not make it out of committee. Um, we know that in the supermajority Republican legislature, we don't always like tax credits or uh, tax cuts for those that need it the most. We see tax cuts for wealthy individuals and corporations. But we really need to pay attention to the people that live in our communities who do need a little break. And we know that taxing these kinds of products could really make the difference between whether or not someone can afford it or not. And so we want to make sure that we're providing products and providing opportunities for young women and girls to have access to the things that they need without any burdens and without any hassles. We had a lot of really great speakers today. Was there a certain moment that really stood out to you today that you really want to highlight for our listeners? Well, I think the moment that stood out for me was when the young lady started asking the OBGYN questions about their bodies. And I think it just speaks to the importance of us having these hard conversations. I know they can be a little tough and a little intimidating. As I said, I'm a mother of three sons, so I don't have to have that conversation. Well, not that particular conversation. I have to have, I have, to have another conversation with them. But it's just so important that we introduce our young ladies to folks that can tell them the truth and the facts about their bodies so that when it happens, it's not a surprise. It's not something that they're dreading. They're prepared for it, and they know how to handle it. You had a great comment that I don't think we had on tape that you wanted these young women to see other women of color in these high-earning professions. Talk to me about why that's important to you. Absolutely. We know that women will, uh, young children, children in general, will be what they see. And it's very important that they see mentors, that they see professional people in the community. And so a big part of this was not just providing the products, but also exposing them to some of my colleagues, women that I've been knowing for a number of years that do amazing things in the communities. They take care of themselves. They take care of their families. And I want these young ladies to be in relationship with those women, to serve as mentors, to help them with opportunities. They may need a letter of recommendation at some point in time, or they may just have a question that they may be nervous to ask their mom about they can reach out to one of my colleagues one of my friends and say you know what I saw you at the menstrual matters event and I just had a question for you can you help me with whatever issue that they're dealing with Zakia Summers is a representative for District 68 in Jackson coming up children in rural Mississippi are at a higher risk for learning loss and food insecurity throughout the summer this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Students across Mississippi are going on summer break soon, but many who live in the Delta and other rural areas are at a higher risk for learning loss and going without nutritious meals. According to Save the Children Mississippi, students with standard summer breaks could forget 
up to 34% of what they learn during the school year. Our Kobe Vance speaks with State Director Yolanda Minor about how Save the Children is working to ensure students stay engaged and eat healthy throughout the summer months. When children are unable to keep learning as they do during the school year, it is so important to create a growing environment throughout the summer months. Um, during this time, they are facing isolation, hunger, and they fall behind in school. Um, and this puts them about 14 months behind their peers. And really, in rural America, these children never catch up. So it causes a lifelong effect of consequences on a child during the summer months. When you say 14 months behind their peers, can you elaborate on that? What does that look like? So if you are on, say, a first grade level and across the summer, which the summer summer slump, they call it, or summer learning loss occurs, children are then one year behind their peers, especially those that are in rural areas, because it means that they have lost up to 34% of what they learned during the school year. How does that compound over years into creating a system that is harder to ensure students are prepared for not just college, but the rest of their lives? It looks a little bit different, I think, in rural areas, because in rural areas, it lacks uh, the resources that's needed. It's a high food insecurity rate, and we know that children, if they are hungry, they can't think. So the effects is strongest in rural communities compared to urban communities because of the resources they lack. So that can impact their life forever, having them not having the ability to catch up to their peers because they lack resources. They lack the parents' ability to come in and support their children's education because they have to be out working, because they have to provide those basic needs that's needed for their family environment. How important is access to food that schools provide? You mentioned uh, food insecurity. How is that exacerbated during the summer months? During the regular school year, a lot of children get their most nutritious meal at school. So during the summer, if there's not a summer program, kids do not have access to that. That's why it's so important that Save the Children partner with these community partners and provide those weekend backpack programs to where children can receive that nutritious meal or some type of meal over the weekend. Can you tell us more about y'all's programs and how they can help ensure children are able to get some healthy meals in their diet? So our work focused on making sure that all rural children have a healthy, strong foundation to thrive and strive as learners and in life. So Save the Children is working with partners in rural Mississippi and across America to help ensure kids have books, meals, educational resources, and programming that they need to keep learning and keep developing and keep growing across the summer. What do you think are some solutions Mississippi could seek to try to help these children as they go about the summer months? Additional resources. So additional funding is needed for organizations like Save the Children and other nonprofit organizations because they need those additional resources. They need a place to go during the summer months because during the summer months in rural Mississippi, children face isolation because there's nowhere to go. They face hunger and, that, and also that falling behind that we spoke about earlier. 
So it's so important that people know, and if they want to learn more about how to make summer fair for all rural kids and how to help, they should visit savethechildren.org slash make summer fair. So that's one way that they can help with additional resources, get them into the hands of children in our rural Mississippi communities. This year and in previous years, Mississippi's legislature has looked into investing into schools to be able to offer them more opportunities to seek alternate calendars. So instead of students being out of school for a little bit more than two months during the summer months, they would be smaller breaks, maybe two weeks here and there. You know, holidays throughout the rest of the year would also see expansion. So the students would not be out of classrooms for more than a couple weeks instead of the significant summer break. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that would be a valid solution? Well, I think that it will help. But will it relieve the whole problem? I don't think so. Because during the times that they're out, it's still going to be the, the need for continuous learning. It's also going to be a need for food. Also, let me just share, I have never met a parent that didn't want to give their child the best possible start in life, but many that just don't know how. So also during that time that they're home, we need to continuously build the parents' capacity to help support the children so they can be kindergarten ready and reading proficient by third grade. How can parents be supported in this effort? I know a lot of them are having to care for children that are at home or seek child care services while students are out of school? Well, say the children programs, um, say, for instance, our kindergarten transition programs um, that we offer during the summertime, there's a component for the parents, like a parent workshop, whereas the parents come in and we provide resources that they can work with their children throughout the summer. But what I love about this program is we don't just give them the resources. We show them how to use them because I learned that sometimes we give a lot of resources, but then the parents get them home and they don't know how to utilize them. So within this transition program, we open up the materials, we show them how to use it, we make it fun and give them different ideas on how to share this learning with their children. Just be aware that the summer loss is real and that resources are needed to continue our children receiving the accurate help that they need throughout the summer months. That children living in rural areas are so much further behind than children in urban areas. While poverty affects millions in the U.S., its strongest grip is on children's lives in rural communities because poverty is higher there, food insecurity is higher there. Yolanda Miner is the state director at Save the Children. Yolanda, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Yolanda Miner is state director of Save the Children, Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.